welcome to the Hook One Pod. Hey, we're here at Hook One Bait and Tackle in Marine City, Michigan. As always, I'm Pete. And I'm Willie. And we got a pretty cool episode today. Today we're going to talk about St. Clair Smallmouth. We got Captain Joe Bauer on the phone. We got our first guest in the studio. What's up, Joe? Happy to be here. Exciting times at Hook One Bait and Tackle. You ready to get peppered with questions? Let's do it. All right. So I'm not going to give really any backdrop on Joe. I'm going to let him talk a little bit about it. He didn't grow up in the area like me and Louie did. He actually chose to come to the area. He's a full-time guide. And, uh, Joe, how many days do you think a year you're guiding out there? Um, this year I'm going to probably hit around 130 guide trips for the year. But yeah. I'll have easily 200 days on the water. Yeah, so he's out there all the time. He's He's sticking with the trends. And, you know, Joe's one of those guys that, he likes to be dialed in. He likes to know what's going on. He told me that he spent days out there prepping for tournaments where a rod doesn't even hit the water. He's just scanning Lake St. Clair. And like we've said before, it's just a big, boring lake. So it'll be pretty cool to hear uh, what Joe's got coming up. So, Joe, why don't you tell the people kind of where you grew up and what brought you over to Lake St. Clair? So I grew up in between Grand Rapids and Lansing, just outside of a town called Lyons, Michigan. I went to Fair State University and studied accounting. And my last semester at Ferris, I kind of realized that accounting is not going to work out for me. I need to do something <laughs> on my feet. I will go crazy if I sit in office all day. So I started making a game plan of how I'm going to do something that I love. And I decided that I wanted to be professional guy. So after Fair State, I didn't even try the accounting path. I just knew it was not going to end well. So I ended up working retail at Nards and kind of developed a 10-year plan of moving across the state. There's a few different paths that you can take as far as being a professional fishing guide in Michigan. You can either do like a small boat, walleye, bass, muskie, casting, or perch fishing, or you can do the big lake stuff, trolling for salmon and lake trout, steelhead on the Great Lakes. And I decided that I didn't have enough background to do the big lake trolling, so it was going to be the bass or walleye path. And towards like my last couple of years of college, I really got into the bass fishing scene was fishing a lot of tournaments and I actually bought my first boat my sophomore year in college. My grandma actually gave me a, a couple thousand dollars to put towards my tuition. Yes, and sir. I did what anyone would do and bought a boat with it so that I could fish tournaments. Yes, sir. <laughs> and we would haul that boat all the way across the state and fish the Detroit River and Lake St. Clair. And that boat had no business being on big water. It had leaks in it. The floorboards were broken. The seats had rips in them. The motor started when it wanted to, but we never had any issues on big water. So the classic Detroit River boat, basically. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I decided that that's where I wanted to kind of put my roots down and fish the Detroit River and Lake St. Clair and just work as hard as I could and become a guide over here. So Menards actually opened up their first store on this side of the state in Warren. And as soon as that store opened, I decided I was going to transfer. 
and I did not know a single person that lived east of Lansing. So when that store was ready to open, I transferred over there, found an apartment, and hauled the boat down, decided I was going to fish every single day I could, and just see what happened from there. So how long did it take you once you moved here to... Well, I guess I'll kind of a little backstory. So Joe and I met actually when I was getting my captain's license. We were in the same captain's class. I actually showed up to class a day late and stole his chair. <laughs> but it ended up working out in the long run. You know, I made a pretty good friend out of it, and uh, we're still fishing together. But what? how long did it take you before, like once you moved here to get to guiding and or to get your captain's license, I guess? So I fished Lake St. Clair in the rivers for two years before I got my captain's license. And when I moved down here, I kind of had my own timeline and I figured that it was gonna take me between eight and 10 years to know the body of water comfortably enough for me to, to do guide trips on it. And uh, I actually met a couple people that really accelerated that. So after only fishing the lake for two years, but literally spending hundreds of days out there, I was told, like, hey, my buddy Tony Yancey said, hey, I'm taking my captain's license. If you have any aspirations in guiding, you ought to get yours right now, too. And uh, the rest is history. But I met Pete. I met a lot of people from that captain's class that have really helped me along the way. What, um, what, what advice would you give to Louie heading into the captain's class now that he's going to be uh heading in in december just show up <laughs> <laughs> show up and listen Mel. stay awake yeah exactly it's not that hard as long as you pay attention so when you came over here um you mentioned like the detroit river and obviously i'm a walleye guy and detroit river is known pretty nationally for walleye you had honestly no intentions right you just wanted to go right into smallmouth yeah i mean i knew that there was that market for jigging trips in the river and when I first started off, I had a 20-foot bass boat. So there's, I wasn't going to be able to troll um, for the walleyes. And casting for walleyes is just starting to come around here. So there, I really didn't have any aspirations for that. So it was pretty much just smallmouth. Um, and then doing a few, like, jigging trips in the spring just to kind of pad the pocketbook a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Really not that hard if the fish is bite, fish are biting. Yeah, April and May in Detroit, everybody wants to fill their freezer. You know what I mean? So after being a professional guide for as long as you have been, is it everything that you thought it would be, like, before you started? Um, so I didn't really think I'd be at the point where I am for probably, like, five more years from now. But guiding full-time has really showed me that it is a full-time job. You're going to put in a lot more hours other than just what you spend on the boat. Um, it also shows that like, some people are really hard to work with, and to get them to have success is, is really hard. It's not just going out and fishing every day with your buddies. It takes a lot of patience. A lot of patience. And it takes a lot of just kind of reading people and trying to figure out how to get them to do what you want for them to have success. Well, and it's it's not like you can really go out there and just throw baits at fish and they're going to bite. You know what I mean? We're in a system where it's very heavily pressured. I mean, there's more and more boats every year. 
we talk about it all the time. It's super clear water. These fish aren't stupid. They're big. They're old. You know what I mean? So it's not, you, you gotta be patient with these people and help them try to catch a fish because you know, it's, it's a lot of finesse fishing, right? Absolutely. And as far as I, my trips, I'm a, consider myself a guide, not a charter boat captain. So we are strictly artificial only. We don't use any live bait and getting some people with very low skill levels to catch fish on artificial bait in the middle of the summer when these fish have seen a billion baits can be really challenging. But you guys do it, man. I mean, you guys stay on fish. You know, we talk day in and day out and it's like, yeah, some days are tough, but even you know, it seems like your tougher days are still 15, 20 fish, and that's just bass. I mean, in the summer, Lake St. Clair, there's a little bit of everything. You know, did you find it interesting? You were telling me a little bit. You found some big walleye this year. We did. We just kind of randomly came across a really big walleye when we were fishing a little bit dirtier water, and they just kind of showed up sporadically, and it seemed like the big ones that we caught were rogue. We didn't catch any numbers of walleyes when those big ones were around. But we did catch some five and six pounders that were post spawn that were just absolute freaks hmm. for Lake St. Clair at that time of year. That's kick ass. So being a guide on Lake St. Clair, how do you go about breaking down the lake and staying on the fish you find? Um, it seems like a lot of people have a hard time finding bass in the summertime. And once they find them, I feel like it's hard for them to stay on them. But I kind of want to hear how you find them and try to stay on them. One major benefit I have is I'm out there literally every day. And so yeah, you can't beat time on the water, man. We talk about it all the time. You can you can talk to somebody that's forty years old, but it's I'm throwing my bottom dollar on it. You know, if you're out there two hundred days a year, you know what what's going on. Yeah. Being out there so much really allows us to stay on them. I also have built a really strong connection with a bunch of other really good fishermen that I can trust. And that's a huge thing with guiding or tournament fishing or even just going out with your buddies is you have to be able to trust that the information you're getting from other fishermen is legit and you're not just going on a wild goose chase. Especially when guiding, when you have paying clients in the boat, you have to go out there and catch fish. I don't get the privilege of going out there and just graphing a lot. Most of the time, I have to go out there and go straight to where I know there's fish. Then after we've got a few in the boat, you can kind of go around and check some other areas that you've got and see maybe I haven't been over here in a week or two. Are these fish still there? Have these fish showed up or not? But it's really important to go out there and get some fish right in the boat and get some like slime on your customer's hands so that they're happy. Yeah, just bend the rod for them. But as far as like locating fish, I have a lot of different areas that I just know like when the water temperature gets, when they're post spawn, the water temperature gets up, they're going to move out. They're going to be on these weed beds. They pretty much go to the same areas year in, year out. You can always expand on those areas too, especially after you have a few fish in the boat and kind of just venture off a little ways. And some days you run into something and you figure something out. And other days it's just, well, you didn't catch fish for an hour, but you've got six more. So let's go hit another spot. When I'm guiding out there, I burn a lot of gas and I fish until we land down. So there's a lot of guys that'll just take your people out there and we catch them, we catch them. If we don't, we don't. But I'm actively seeking out biting fish. 
A hundred percent. That's what I respect so much, you know, about your guide service and a lot of those guys out there that actually are day in and day out trying to find the so-called X on the X or the, you know, X on the spot, right? You were trying to find those fish. A lot of guys just, you know, hit a couple spots here, a couple spots there. And, you know, that's a day, but it, it takes a lot of work. And I don't think a lot of people realize that it's not somewhere you can just go out and find success in an hour or two. Sometimes you really have to, you know, break down your body's water and, and put some time out there. And there's certain times of the year where you can go out there and just float around and you're going to catch 30 or 40 fish in a full day. But there's other times of the year where you really have to seek out fish and go and see where they're at. Well, like in the springtime out here, you, if you scan and you find some rock piles away from other anglers, you're going to be able to catch fish off those. But if you just kind of go out there and plop down in the middle of the lake in the summer, you could go hours without catching a fish. So you've been fishing, I mean, you've been coming over to the Detroit River and St. Clair area for a long time. You've lived here now for a handful of years. Has it been crazy crazy for you to see the increase in boats coming to Lake St. Clair? I mean, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Every year it just continues to blow my mind, especially after like COVID hit, the boat traffic, from out-of-state anglers, even in-state anglers from across the state, was just astronomical. These fish have been more pressured in the last two or three years than I can say. I mean, I've only been here for five years, but I'm pretty sure that they've never seen this much pressure. No, it's it's never been like this. I mean, like I said, we, we've got to grow up around here, and it this is just crazy. I mean, try it's, it's funny to try and explain to somebody, and you can try it now, but you know, how do you explain to somebody that's a calm Saturday in July, but there's still three and three and a half footers out there from pleasure boaters? You know what I mean? It's it's stupid. It's it really, it's stupid. After 11 a.m., you better hope that the Canadian side is open because it's going to be a washing machine on the U.S. side. And that's just things you don't really know until you fish over here a long time. I remember the first time I ever fished Lake St. Clair, we came over on July 3rd. Oh, no. That was probably the dumbest thing we've ever done. <laughs> I broke off two, both my graphs. They were both broken. The bases broke off of them. Dude. And we ran from the Detroit River all the way back to Crocker at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And it was the roughest boat ride I've ever experienced in my life. But we really caught them good. And I, from after that day, I knew I was moving to this side of the state and I was going to chase some smallmouth for the rest of my life. That's awesome, man. So after fishing Lake St. Clair, I mean, as much as you do, 100, 200 days a, a year, um, I feel like I kind of already know the answer to it. But um, if you're looking for a bigger smallmouth, would you try to target the Canadian side or the American side? It depends on the time of year. It depends on a lot of different things. Um, obviously, in the springtime, it's against a lot of fishing Canadian water, so you have to fish the American side. Yeah. But after Memorial Day, the American side definitely gets a lot more traffic from pleasure boaters, especially on the weekends. So as soon as that Canadian season opens, it's nice to get over there and fish without pleasure boaters going by you. But there's definitely big fish on both sides of the lake. What, um, you know, obviously without giving away your spots and giving away a lot of stuff that you do, but... What do you notice as far as like kind of as the year goes on, um, as bait moves, what do, what do the bass kind of transition to as far as their diets and where do they where do they head kind of as the year goes on? You know what I mean? So pretty much right after 
ice out after that water warms up a little bit, you're going to find fish in shallow. And they're going to be anywhere from four to eight foot of water. And that's where most of the fish that you're going to be fishing for are at. There's going to be fish out deep the whole year. There's going to be fish in four foot of water and less all year. But predominantly, the major concentration of fish is going to be in that four, five to ten foot of water first thing. And then they're going to spawn. And as they spawn, there's going to be several waves that come up and spawn. So not every single smallmouth in Lake St. Clair is going to spawn at the same time. There's going to be fish that stage out deeper a little bit longer. And based on those full moons starting in the middle of May and working out to June and July, there's going to be fish that keep pulling up and spawning. And starting out, those fish are going to spawn in four to six foot of water where it's warmer, where they've got a little bit sandier bottom that retains heat a little bit. And as the water and the air temperatures warm up throughout the spring, they're going to spawn deeper and deeper and deeper. So you can catch fish on beds in July that are out in 14 foot of water. And a lot of people don't realize that they're spawning out there, but they are. And this year especially, we had kind of drought conditions in April and May. So our water was absolutely gym cleared. And you could see those fish on a calm day down there in 14 foot of water. And you could see the bed that they were sitting on. So that really kind of helped me like, tune in that, yes, these fish are still spawning, even though I thought they were post-spawners out there trying to fatten up already. Yeah, it was a weird spring because we got a really nasty cold front, too. That was super strange. Um, but anyway, what from, from bait, I guess, because, you know, the lake is super transitional, just like the river is super transitional with bait. You know, the river fills up with shiners, empties with shiners. The lake fills up with shad. I got a Snapchat today uh, that there was a full gizzard shad that one of your fish spit up. What's the bait transition like? So before the spawn, I think they eat a lot of crawfish, and they're going to eat some shad and whatever they can get a hold of, really. Um, they're just – Literally in the pre-spawn, they're eating anything they can find. If they're around rock, they're usually eating gobies and crayfish, but they're not going to pass up a little juvenile perch swimming by or a shad going by. Uh, it seems like in the dirtier water, they eat a little bit more shad just because those shad like to try and filter that water, and they're more abundant. But as the like year goes on, when they go offshore, they eat a lot of like emerald shiners and spotted minnows while they're out in that 14 to 18 foot of water. But around the full moons, especially in the summertime, those fish eat a lot of crawfish out there. Um, when I first started fishing here, I fished a lot of tournaments. And while I was fishing the tournaments, when we box our fish, we would, our libels would be full of crawfish, especially around those full moons. And then as the year goes on further, they really turn to bait fish when that water starts to drop in temperature, like we just kind of experienced in the last week and a half or two weeks. So around that like Labor Day weekend, they really change from like the crawfish and the goldies and the perch over to those shad that are going to be migrating towards the Detroit River and the St. Clair River. Shed just seem to stack up at the mouths of the rivers, even on like the mouth of Detroit River by Lake Erie, they'll stack up up there. And 
as you can see from the major league fishing tournament that was one on it from off of here those fish just rolled up out there yeah that was a fine when you go graphing down there everything looks like it should have fish on it but i would say that 90 percent of those fish live in 10 percent of the water and they're really hard to find yeah that's actually a great way to put it that that is a good way to put it because it i mean there's been spots where it's like man there should be fish here it's like no fish keep trying keep moving yeah, with that being said, I mean, what's your favorite time of the year to fish on Lake St. Clair? Not just for bass, but for kind of everything. So I really like cold weather. It keeps the pleasure boaters off. It keeps the weekend fair weather fishermen away. And it seems like when it's cold out, you catch big fish. And I would much rather catch five big ones than 50 cookie cutter three pounders. Yeah. So yeah. I would definitely say like first of May when it's still cold and then going into October, November is also a really good time if the weather cooperates and you get a decent day. It's really weather dependent that time of year. Yeah, we've had some we've had some banger days, but it's been cold out there. But I mean big bass, big musky, small baits. <laughs> small baits in a really slow presentation. Actually Met our buddy Frank out on the lake this year while it was snowing, and we caught some absolute giants. But I also really like trolling in December and March for big walleyes. Yes. I've got a kind of a little little soft spot for those giant Lake Erie and Lake St. Clair walleyes. It put, it put a great feeling in my heart when I saw that you got a set of trolling rods and planer boards. I, I just wanted to cry a little bit because it was – it was always bass, 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 but I we're telling y'all, and there's an episode coming, but those early season and late season, those cold weather walleyes are an absolute blast when they start sinking boards. You had to call like six people to figure out, hey, what boards do I need? Hey, what bandits <laughs> do I need? Hey, what line should I get? What reels? Didn't take long though, man. I mean, you piece a couple things together and you get out there and, you know, when you spend as much time out on the water as you do, it's kind of just more of, you know, where do the wall I want to hang out? You know how to break it down. You know where they're at. And typically we seem to find them. We have some pretty good luck out there. Especially you have to make, when you go out and make like an investment in that, you have to make sure you have the right equipment. If not, you're wasting your time or making it harder than it should be. But having the right equipment and making sure that you are able to catch the fish that you find. Yeah. If you're fishing around no fish, you're obviously not going to catch anything. But if you're around the fish and you have the right equipment, makes things a lot easier right for sure what have you noticed um obviously you're a bass guide it's a guide service what have you noticed with the musky population on lake st Clair? because it's kind of funny it seems like you're running into them often yeah so the musky population is definitely healthy on lake st Clair. um with the border being closed the last year and a half we haven't really run into as many uh, it seems like they like to stay over in that stagnant water in Canada where it's a little bit warmer and we've got those bigger gizzard chat for them to eat. But I was out with one of my buddies fishing with live scope. I know you guys talk about that a little bit on your pod, but big fans, big fans. We saw Garmin. six muskies on the screen at the same time this year. That's unbelievable. The smallmouth bite shut off instantly. I mean, that's what they're eating. So it's, I mean, six muskies in that small of an area for live scope to pick it up. I mean, that's just what kind of hunters are out there. They say you can judge 
a fisheries health on its size on its predators. We've got some big muskie and we have a lot of them, but it is funny because the muskie guys sometimes have trouble finding them. It's incredible how fertile this fishery is all the way from the bottom of the food chain, all the way to the top. There is an incredible size of bluegills in this lake. Yeah. And rock bass and giant perch and giant walleyes, small walleyes. Everything in this lake is big. I'm just waiting for those giant kings to find their way here. Maybe one day. They'll be here. But, I mean, no, you nailed it. And I think that's, Louie and I have said it before, but that's why it's so cool to, you know, be starting a bait shop here and doing our, excuse me, but doing our guide service and, and you doing your guide service. That's, ex- I mean, it's exciting times for us because we're heading into some promising, excuse me again, we're heading into some promising fishing times. So I think um, it's only going to get busier. I mean, I don't know how many days you'll even have open next year. I can't, I can't imagine many. Um, I know Louie might have some open days, but I don't know if any of you guys want to fish with Louie. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we talked a little bit about the pattern of the fish and kind of what their bait is. So if you were going out there, you know, if you want to tell us your secrets, you can. Won't be mad. But what are, like, your top two, top three favorite baits to throw out there? My two favorite baits to throw on Lake St. Clair are two four-inch Poor Boys Green Pumpkin two. And a drop shot. And the drop shot baits that I'm going to use are going to vary greatly. So in May, I'm going to use something small because the forage that they're eating is typically smaller. And then as it goes later in the year, later in the summer, and they transition and they're eating a lot of perch, I'm going to use something a little bit bigger, more like a fluke style bait. And then as it comes back around to the fall and they start eating crawfish again, I'm going to go down to smaller bait like a poor boy's Yuri darter or maybe a striking half shell something in that three to four inch range but in the summertime i don't think you can throw too big of a bait on a drop shot you might have to change the hook that you're using a little bit but i've seen the smallmouth spit up some really big perch that's interesting that's very interesting so if you had one color i know it's tough to dial it down green pumpkin Uh, yeah, I, do you disagree? I don't disagree. I use green pumpkin a lot, but I don't think it would be my first choice. If I had to use everything, every single bait, like a crankbait, a tube, a drop shot, even a spinnerbait or Senko, if I could only use one color for all those applications, it would be green pumpkin. I bet you were pretty good on sexy shining. Or uh, like an emerald shiner color bait. That's that's probably my number one so far. That's solid. From what I found out. What happens when they're eating crawfish on the bottom? Couldn't tell you. Green pumpkin. <laughs> that's interesting because I always. <laughs> it's interesting because I always hear people, you know, goby baits, goby baits. Bass love gobies, and they do love gobies. I don't think there's as many gobies in the lake as there was say, ten years ago. I think that's a testament to how healthy the fishery is. You know what I mean? I mean, those things did some damage when they first got here, but now, now they everything tees off. We found a bunch of four pound vacuum cleaners swimming around that lake, just slurping them up. Yeah, I mean, you see the videos in the river of there's still a healthy goby population, but for as much time as I spend out there, I don't see very many of them get spit up by the smallmouth. I see a lot more perch, a lot more emerald shiners, gizzard chat. 
things like that. I mean, we see maybe half a dozen gobies in here. Have you ever, so I've had walleye out there fishing out, not, not, now not like middle of the lake, but fishing the shipping channel out in the lake. And I've had walleye spit up smelt. Have you ever had a bass spit up smelt? Yeah, early in the year when the water's a little bit colder, as soon as they spawn and start to go offshore a little bit, especially around those cold water areas where the river dumps in, yep. in front of all those channels, I think those smelt just kind of hang out there in stage while the water's still cold before they push up the river into Lake Huron for the summer. It's always been interesting to me because you hear guys all the time talking about how the smelt dipping's never like it used to be. Um, and it used to just fill up garbage bins, dipping them. But my, I firmly believe that those fish somewhat evolved or they learned. And I, they, I think they run the middle of the river because it seems like the fish that I catch that spit up smelt are spitting them up in 35, 40 feet of water. So I don't know. I think there's still a lot of smelt around because that's a very good bait. And a lot of fish that feed on smelt are doing very well population-wise. And if you look at your minnows that you're getting from the bait shop in the spring, early in the spring, you'll see some smelt mixing oh, yeah. with your emeralds. And I mean, they kind of they'll run together, but like you said, I believe those smelt are just kind of hanging out uh, offshore, especially with the high water. They don't. They're, we we had the highest water that this system has ever seen last year, right? And I think that has really kind of shaken up the system and. The critters aren't doing exactly what they've done for the last 50 years just because the conditions aren't what they've ever been before. So it's really hard to tell, like, what is actually going on out there. Absolutely, and I mean, there really is a lot going on if you look at it. Like, obviously, we talked about the introduction to gobies. You talk about the introduction to zebra mussels and how our water is so clean. So now these fish are trying to adjust to that. We talk about the increase in fishermen. So the fish are getting more keen debates. We talk about the increase in boating traffic because they're just running right over their heads. So, I mean, it's kind of a lot that's really been going on in the last, you know, five to really 10 years or so. So we'll see as it keeps changing. But, I mean, so far it's been a positive thing, I would I would think. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like the fishery has just been getting better and better. Even with the increased pressure, it seems like we've been getting more fish in our system. It seems like we've been getting some bigger fish, too. So let's talk a little bit, Joe, um, while we still got some time. You know, you fished a pretty cool tournament. You fished the U.S. Open, the Bass Pro U.S. Open. Um, you guys finished pretty well. You're heading to Table Rock for the national tournament. But let's talk a little bit about Lake St. Clair, kind of. You know, how did how did you – what was really your game plan? Did you plan on bouncing around until you, you found some fish? Did you plan on sitting and grinding? You were in a field of over 250 boats, and you can kind of – give a little bit better backdrop on what the tournament was like, but it's pretty cool to see that. And you guys are heading on to the, the championship. Yeah, it was actually a pretty challenging practice that we had. We I knew some areas where there's some bigger fish hanging out and the border had just opened up. So we were able to fish the Canadian waters. And basically all I did was I just ran history of where I caught big fish in the past. And we just kind of went out and practiced for two days and just hit a whole bunch of different areas and, if we caught a four-pounder, we put it on the list of spots we're going to hit in the tournament and got a game plan together. And basically, when you're fishing a one-day tournament, you'd rather be lucky than good. Yep. Because you don't. if you're fishing a four-day tournament, you have to conserve your fish. There's a lot more skill that goes into it, and a lot more like just trying to figure out a game plan. But with a one-day shootout, it's literally catch as much as you can in that one day. You're not holding anything back. And you really have to fish your conditions. You have to adapt to what's going on that day. 
because if you just have a game plan and you're just going to run through all these different waypoints, if something's not, if something's off, you might go over the winning bag of fish and not catch them. Right. So it's crazy. We knew there was definitely feed windows where the fish were feeding a little bit better in different areas of the lake. So we started out shallow and 10 foot of water and it was really foggy that morning. So we didn't make a very long run and we had lots of boats around us, but we like Pete talks about, we had a spot on a spot that we found just graphing the two days before and started there, put a few fish in the box. And then as the sun came up and we knew those fish out deep were going to start biting, we had it out there and hauled out everything we had and managed to sack up over 21 pounds and qualified for the national championship on table rock. So we knew we had a pretty good shot of catching 20 to 23 pounds. Um, but like I said, you never know. If you pull up on those areas and you're only catching three pounders and you leave, you might should have stayed because those bigger ones would have fired in the afternoon. Right. It's just tournament fishing is all about gambling and fishing the conditions and getting a little bit lucky. That's it, man. You need the right bites. Yeah, so with tournament fishing, um, I hear people talk about it all the time. They think that smallmouth kind of group up by size. So... When you're tournament fishing, do you go catch a couple of fish out of a school and think they're, I mean, say you catch three or four, three pounders, do you just leave and look for bigger fish or do you kind of change your baits up, try different techniques to see if there's bigger fish hanging out with them? So during practice, if I am catching three pounders, I'm probably not going to hit that in a tournament. Um, but if I go out and catch a bunch of fish, I still might hit that spot. Because on Lake St. Clair, I don't think they school as as much at, by size as they do, say, on Lake Erie or Lake Huron or even in the rivers. In the rivers, it really seems like they school up by their size and by their yeah. class. But out on Lake St. Clair, I feel like there's you could catch a 5-incher and then a 5-pounder on back deck cast. So it's really tricky to figure out like what your milk run is going to be because of that. But kind of, like I said, being out there every day kind of helps you determine like, I know there's some big ones around here, so I'm going to stick it out a little bit longer. Or if I'm hit, fishing a new area and I'm not catching any big ones, I'll pound those fish until they stop biting and I figure out if there's big ones there or not. But once I catch one big one, then it's time to leave. And practice, you know, look for some more fish. Yeah, get ready to hit it hard for the get ready to hit it hard for tournament day. Uh as you as you look ahead to Table Rock and you and um Logan get ready to head down there and fish Table Rock, what what's that lake kind of like? I really don't know shit about it. Louie might know a little bit more than I do, but what's the lake kind of like? What are you looking to fish for down there and how are you gonna target them? So Table Rock Lake, I have never been there before, but I've started to do some research on it. We've been watching a lot of YouTube videos on it. We've been reading oh, yeah. a lot of fishing reports. And Table Rock is in the Ozarks, so it is a very clean lake. You can see down 15, 20 feet, and it's very deep. So it's a flooded valley. Um, so the middle of the lake is three, 400 feet deep. Oh. And you get back in these creeks, and there's flooded cedar trees where the center of the creek could have 80 foot of water 
with cedar trees that stand up 45 to 50 feet. And in the fall and winter, those spotted bass will suspend in the top of those trees. So one of the okay. major techniques that they use are what we use to ice fish, jigging rapalas and jigging spoons. This is a vertical presentation over the tops of those cedar trees. So you can really see them on your graph, from what I understand, and you'll be able to see those fish in those trees. But you can also go on the bank and beat the bank and fish really shallow. But it's a completely different fishery than Lake Sinclair. Yeah, I mean, you say those creeks, but then you say the creek is like 80 feet deep, so you're talking more like a trench. And that's, I mean, the, the clarity, when you started off talking about it, the clarity, I was like, oh, yeah, similar to Lake St. Clair. And then you said 400 feet deep, and I don't. Oh, man, that's embarrassing. That's my phone. Sorry, guys. But anyway, you know, you say it's going to be that deep. That Jigging spoons, jigging wraps. So is it essentially all vertical presentations when you're fishing that deep? It's basically impossible to cast. Yeah, when you're fishing that deep, you're pretty much just going to be vertical. I mean, some of the guys are going to be able to use their live scope and pan around and maybe make a cast, but they're literally going to have to free spool and let it go down to we're probably not going to be fishing very deep. We're going to go for the win. I mean, if you want to maybe cash a check. So Taborak has all three species of black bass in North America. They have spotted bass, largemouth bass, and smallmouth bass. And predominantly, the smallmouth bass are what win in November over there. And they'll be located on, like, the secondary points in the creeks and the main lake points, so... We're going to go around and hit those main lake points. We're going to fish anywhere from dirt shallow out to probably 25, 30 foot on those points. But if you go to Lake St. Clair, there's one point on the entire lake, and it's all sand, so the fish don't really relate to it. But when you're on a fishery like Table Rock, there's hundreds of points and secondary points along the creek. So a lot of water to cover, and we're just going to pick an area of the lake that we feel comfortable with and fish that area and see what we can mine out of it. For sure. Last thing um, that I got on Table Rack, and then we'll see what Louie's got to say. But um, when the tournament was here, so when they ran the U.S. Open here on Lake St. Clair, what was it? I think the top 42 places finished with over 20 pounds. Yeah, that's crazy. There's a lot of bags over 20 pounds. You had to have over 20 pounds to advance to the national championship, but it was really tight. I mean, the winner had 24 even, and then second and third place were high 23s, low 23s. But then it, from, like, fifth place to 40th place that qualified were within a pound and a half of each other. So it was really tight, and uh, there was a lot of bags over 20 pounds. I mean, that's kind of what I figured in a one-day team tournament is you're going you're gonna to definitely need more than 20 to advance, but... I didn't think there would be that many 20 pound What do you think? Do you think Table Rock's going to hold something similar as far as like a 24 pound bag winner? Obviously, probably not as consistent. You don't think there'll be that many 20 pound bags, do you? No, absolutely not. This, the Lake St. Clair qualifier event is going to have more 20 pound bags than probably all the other qualifier events and the national championship combined. Yeah. Um, just the uh, yeah. way those fisheries are. Um, Table Rock, if you have 20 pounds a day, 20 even for three days straight, you're going to win. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. I'm thinking that maybe 17 to 18 pounds a day will have you right up there, and you'll be able to do really well. 
So going to a new body of water, I mean, do you guys have any goals set besides winning a tournament, like catching a certain amount of fish per day in practice? Any or? moral victories, Joe, or are you just trying to win this shit? <laughs> Ours, there's only going to be one moral victory, and that's called hauling a big-ass trophy. Cut that check for a million and send it to us, yeah. huh? If we're not hauling, like, more than one boat back to Michigan, it's going to be like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Damn, we just wasted this drive. Um, no, man, but hey, we really appreciate you coming down and sitting down with us. Uh, I know I had an absolute blast. I think Louie had a good time. Yeah, He's always trying to figure fun. out your secrets. <laughs> yeah, so the biggest tip I can give to Louie for guiding is to surround yourself with a really strong group of friends that you can trust. And you have to be able to rely on them for information. And do not be afraid to ask for information. Because if they are truly your buddies, truly your friends, they are going to help you out and they will want you to succeed. Yeah. You, know, you can ask me for help anytime. <laughs> <laughs> and just bring your pen and paper and team, take notes. But, no, hey, you mentioned that before and you mentioned it again. I want to emphasize that, you know, having a good network of friends and people on the water is super important because there's we're only one person, so you can't be all over the water, but you can have friends that are all over the water. And, honestly – uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but there's some pretty shitty people out there. Absolutely. You got to surround yourself with a small crowd, you know, a group of people that you can really trust and that you can hold true. But if you have a network like that, it's unbreakable. Yep. You're going to catch a lot of fish. So anyway, Joe, thank you very much, man. Do you have anything else that you'd like to say before we cut this thing loose? I'll be back. Joe will be back. We got a lot to talk about on Smallmouth. We're going to break it down. And we're going to keep picking his brain. We might even pick his brain on some walleye trolling. <laughs> but, hey, check him out, at Joe Bauer Fishing on Instagram. He said he had no plugs, so I'm going to plug him up. Guys, thank you very much. Louie, what do you got for the, for the fans? As always, like, share, and subscribe. <laughs> like, share, and subscribe. You guys are the reason that we can keep doing this, and we really appreciate it. If you all need anything, you know where to find us. Hook one, bait, and tackle. Get our emails, our phone numbers, Instagrams. Wherever you can find us, shoot us a message. We'd love to help you. If you want us to talk about anything that would interest you or that you want to learn about, please shoot us a message. Other than that, y'all, tight lines. We'll talk to you soon.